So each year we try and remind ourselves, why is it we're doing this? What is it that's important about Bright Festival? And uh, this year, as I was praying about the why of what we're doing, um, I really, this whole idea of reintroducing people to what God is like just came back very strongly. And part of that is because there's so many people in our culture that just have such a poor idea, such a, a misrepresentation of what the Father is like. And I believe, and I know that the vast majority of the people in this room believe, that if people knew what it was like in the Father's house, they would come home. And yet, there is so many people that have just never tasted and seen or understood. There's so many people that haven't got faith in their near history that they can refer back to. It's just uh, something that is very distant from people. And frustratingly, the enemy has been really good at creating propaganda that diminishes the idea of being with God in people's hearts and minds. Is that true? There's been a whole campaign to discredit God uh, and to make people feel that they can't come into relationship with God for one reason or another. It makes people nervous of the kingdom. It makes people nervous of the church. It makes people nervous of Jesus. And so our job as Bright Festival is to change that. And do you know what? This, is, this isn't anything new we're doing. In one sense, the, the, as you know, sharing the gospel is nothing new. Uh, it, and uh, coming against negative perceptions of God is nothing new. This was a huge thing in Jesus' day, as you know. Actually, Jesus lived in a, a culture that were, was so resistant to people, anybody coming to God. It's something we talk about quite a lot in this church, about how unacceptable so many people felt in Jesus' culture to come to the one that Jesus called Father. And so Jesus was uh, prepared to center most of his messages around inclusion and around trying to share with his culture what Father is like. If you think of Luke 15, all those lost things. So you've got uh, the lost sheep and the lost coin and then the lost son. Profound parables that he shared. It's all about changing people's perceptions of what it's like to come home. Are you with me? And I recently understood something new about the story of the prodigal son. It's funny how a story that is so familiar can keep speaking and speaking and speaking. And someone recently told me uh, uh, something about the backdrop to this story. In that one of the reasons why it was so shocking that the prodigal son was allowed to come home to the father is because of something called the Kizaza ceremony of shame. Has anyone come across this? Blew my mind. When Jesus was telling the story of the prodigal son, there was a very strong tradition in Jewish culture that if anybody had, had done one of three things, it straight away kicked in this tradition of the Kazaza ceremony of shame. And these things were this, that it was either if you married an immoral woman or you sold any of the promised land to a Gentile, or if you lost any of the wealth of Israel to, to a Gentile world. And so when Jesus tells this story of the prodigal son who sold his father's land, who then went and spent all the cash 
on Gentile women, and then came back, uh, having lost all that money in a Gentile world. He ticks all three boxes, pretty much. And so when you get to that moment when the, this young man is about to enter the town, everybody knows this is Kazaza time, when he's on his way back to the father's village. And so that's why it's so shocking that Jesus didn't talk about Kazaza. He talked about a completely different response to this young man. Do you, know, do you want to know what the Kazaza shame ceremony is? So when someone has done any of these things, enters back into that village, the elders of the village are supposed to meet them at the gate. And the only person in that shamed person's family that is allowed to have any contact with the shamed person is the shamed person's mother and it's almost like last rites before being judged like the mother is allowed to go and express affection to the lost son right before the elders then crowd in and do this ceremony the father has to stay aloof the father is able to sidestep the humiliation of his son returning um, and to be separate from the whole thing so that he doesn't have to face the shame that his son is bringing upon his household. He's supposed to stay to one side. And what the elders do is they uh, bring this shamed person into the centre of a, these religious elders and they will find the biggest pot they can find and they will smash it at the feet of the shamed person as a sign that the relationship between the shamed person and their home village is eternally broken destroyed and they have to leave immediately as a shamed person publicly humiliated if that person sets foot back in that village after the kazaza ceremony of shame has been uh, completed they are allowed to publicly stone them on the spot so when Jesus gets to that point in his story Kazaza time. They know what Jesus is about to say as a rabbi and a keeper of the oral traditions in, in Israel. So when Jesus depicts the father running to meet the son, it says while he is still a long way off, the father does what? He picks up his skirts and he lays it towards his son. Why? Because he has to get there before the elders see him. If the elders see him and this ceremony of shame begins to kick in, it's game over for this lad. And the father can't bear it. He has to get there first. So he runs, which we know he's not supposed to do as a landowner in Israel. It's a disgraceful thing to do. But he has to publicly affirm his son, forgive his son, make it very, very clear that his intention is not to shame his son and remove him from the village, but to restore his dignity with the cloak, with the ring, with the shoes, and to bring him into his household before the shame can hit him and he's banished forever. That's our job. That's the spirit of Bright. <coughs> There are so many people out there who never take the first step towards home because they are worried. They're worried that they won't be accepted. They're worried that they won't be good enough. They're worried that there won't be a place for them in the Father's house. They think it's for other people who are acceptable or who are somehow liked more by God. 
and that as soon as they bring their own life with all that it is into the presence of the Father, there will be condemnation, there will be shame, there will be a mirror held up to all the bad stuff that we've done, and we won't be able to bear up under it. That is the propaganda that the enemy has succeeded to place in the hearts of our community. Through the media, through uh, bad experiences of church in the past, all kinds of things play into it. We have to get to them first. And it's no good staying in our churches expecting some miracle to happen whereby they might venture in. Because many people haven't even got what the the prodigal son has, which is some kind of history and memory of what it's like in the father's house. Many people are first, second generation, third generation, fourth generation, estranged from God. So they've never tasted and seen or have any memory bank to know what that's like. So we have to take the essence of the Father's house and the essence of the Father's heart, and we have to take it to where people are to say, do you know what? This is what it's like. And in the same way as with, with the prodigal son, there has to be celebration. There has to be celebration. There has to be a party going on because God loves people. There has to be a feast. And there has to be a wide open door of welcome and blessing. So that people can know, actually, do you know what? I think I have, strangely feel I have a place amongst these people. And I love what's going on here. And even though I don't understand it all, this feels like home. Amen? Amen.